the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Let us now turn to the Archangel Gabriel. The name means God's strength. And he is mentioned at least four times in the Bible, in the New Testament, especially we remember him in that line in which he spoke to Zechariah, the priest who was in the temple, announcing him to him the, the conception of John the Baptist. We remember him also, of course, at the Annunciation. But if you go to that passage of Zechariah, who's a Levitical priest, he's a public figure, he's holding sacred duties, and he's in the middle of performing very public and sacred function in the temple at the moment in which Gabriel appears. There were two, two, there were two altars in the temple, the altar of ascensions in the courtyard, and then inside, in the Holy of Holies, the golden altar of incense in the holy place. Gabriel's not wearing armor. He's not exactly like St. Michael. Instead, he is described as standing by the altar. St. Luke gives us a beautiful account. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even, even before his birth. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was a stunning declaration that, that Gabriel made about Zechariah's son-to-be. But Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well on in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you, to tell you, 
this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you do not believe in my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Powerful words coming from an angel, an archangel. And since Zechariah doubted, since he seems to have been unsure perhaps of their authenticity, since he might have thought that this was some kind of mirage or some kind of hallucination, but he wasn't unsure, he was not sure. He doubted their divinity. He needed more proof. As though seeing an angel were not enough. So Gabriel had the power to silence him. The silence that was meant to give him time to reflect in quiet. Yes, I mean, of course, Zachariah was old and his wife was barren and, and having a, a child at that age, yes, that was unheard of. Maybe both were far too old. But, of course, God created nature. He can certainly change the rules if he wants to. So Gabriel, in this context, gave Zechariah the opportunity for reflection, for recollection in silence with God. It's what we need when we spend time working in the afternoon or the nighttime before going to bed. And so what we're going to try to do now in this day of recollection, to be silent. Silence in order to pray, Silence in order to reflect on what God really has planned for us. And we really need it now. We can ask Gabriel to help us be silent. I stand in the presence of God. I give you this good news so you will be silent, he's saying to us. I'm going to give you some good news. I'm going to give you some words of God. But you have to be silent to hear them so that we're not distracted by worries, by doubts, by other concerns. So we ask you, Lord, help us really now, with the help of the angel Gabriel, the archangel, help us make a good recollection, at least what is left of it, as we're about to enter into Thanksgiving Monday. It's got to be prepared by lots of Thanksgiving in prayer. Today in the Gospel we'll see the ten lepers being healed and yet none of them came back giving thanks except that Samaritan who returned. He must have looked at his wounds that were now no longer there. Maybe the bleeding and the scars were now disappeared. Well maybe, I would say as he saw that, maybe Gabriel nudged him to give thanks, to go back. You know, when we, when we say the Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, at the very beginning of Mass, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, well, we're essentially saying the exact same words that those lepers said to Jesus when they saw him. They said, Lord have mercy, heal us. And when they had that opportunity to be healed, they reached out for it. Of course, we too are healed at Mass because we are filled with God's grace, we are filled with God's Word, we are able to receive 
his body and his blood. Just so there too, there is a kind of a liturgical act. Like in the Eucharist, you know, we give thanks to God. That's what, that's what the Eucharist, the word Eucharist in, in Greek means. You know, Eucharist means the hymn of thanksgiving. The very hymn that our Lord would have recited at the Last Supper with his apostles. It was a hymn of thanksgiving, a hymn of praise. And so today, as we're about to enter into Mass, we can ask Gabriel, the Archangel, to help us you know, overcome any sense of routine or lack of true thanksgiving at the altar, because he is standing at the right hand of the altar, on the right side of the altar. He'll be there in a unique way. He was by the altar with Zachariah, and what we should remember, there are always angels there at every Mass around the altar. They worship God in front of the tabernacle. There's, a, there's an angel right there now. Right there. We don't see him. He's, of course, he's visible, but he's right there. In the Church of St. Ambroise, the parish, we had these uh, statues made of two adoring angels in front of the tabernacle. They had been rescued from some old church or something and they were just pure white plaster partially chipped and partially broken but we had a guy paint them and restore them and there they are they're reverent they're bowing in front of the tabernacle they really help you to see though they're merely made of plaster they help you to see that that they're angels there in front of that tabernacle in that church adoring God and I would say probably Gabriel is among them and I think that Gabriel would have been there too at the Last Supper with Jesus. He was there to comfort the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or think of what we're about to hear in the Roman can canon right after the consecration. The priest in the rubrics is invited to bow. He says, in humble prayer, we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high in the sight of your divine majesty. So that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son. And then he stands upright, he makes the sign of the cross. That we may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. It's a beautiful passage. Imagine now Gabriel without body, a pure spiritual being, helping to make these offerings acceptable to God. He's somehow involved in making the Lord present there. He's kind of bearing his gifts. The Mass is, we know, a sacramental participation in the liturgy of heaven. The liturgy of heaven is, is the worship of God, one and triune. It's the, it's the cult officially rendered to the Blessed Trinity by the full host of uh, the spiritual creation. All the created beings, the angels, the saints, everybody is there worshiping God in heaven. And so the presence of the angels introduces uh, the Eucharist into heaven itself. They help surround the Eucharist with, with a sacred mystery there. How, we could ask, are our offerings acceptable? We say receive 
the holy body and blood of your Son may be filled with every grace and, and heavenly blessing. We're asking God to make this offering acceptable. Does your presence here, recollected and pious, make those offerings more acceptable? Is the Lord happier with more people present here? The Lord accepts our offering, but we can be maybe more conscious of the supernatural nature of this worship, of this heavenly liturgy, this prayer of all prayers, the prayer of all prayers, the sacred canon, the Eucharistic prayer. Especially if we were to consider the angels, it would help us to be more supernatural about it that they are intimately involved. You know, think, for example, of the altar linens. The administration is usually tasked with placing the linens on this altar. But the linens also include uh, what we call the dust cover. I don't usually see that in other churches, but anyway, I'm sure they have that as well. Of course, we have the, the corporal that we the, the priest unfolds and any place where the Blessed Sacrament is actually sort of placed, the, it has to be, underneath there has to be a corporal. And uh, the, it is said that the, the deacons in a, in a Mass serve to accompany the priest, but they're the presence of the deacon is not simply a physical presence as such. That image of a priest with two deacons is not simply meant as a physical help. It also is an image. And I read this from Cardinal Danielou that the idea of the two deacons on either side of the priest, they are meant to be the ones who spread the altar linens on the altar, and that is meant to recall the burial linens in which the Lord was wrapped when he was dead. And once the sacred body has been produced in the consecration, on either side you have these deacons that are meant to represent angels that, that remained by Christ when he was dead in the tomb until they had seen the resurrection. And maybe sometimes you're tasked with simply placing the dust cover. Think of yourself as an angel accompanying our Lord as he is still lying there in the tomb. The divinity is present in the body, that's why he didn't know corruption, but he is not alive. He's dead. Some ways now he's still dead, but soon he's going to be made present alive. Or if you ever have to open the corporal on the altar for a benediction or something, the burial linens of the dead Christ. And so for us, the angel Gabriel. Is, since he is so associated with the liturgy and with the worship of God, he's standing at the right hand of the altar. Let's ask him to make us more pious, more reverent, more faith-filled as we, as we simply assist at Mass, making acts of thanksgiving, making acts of worship. The angel can help us 
in that. Well, the, all the angels, of course, but, uh, but in particular, St. Gabriel, because of that presence of his in the Holy of Holies in Scripture. But of course, we know him also from the scene of the Annunciation, and his name is Strength of God, or translated as Strength of God. So that every time we say the Hail Mary, we are actually speaking words that came onto this earth, not written by a human hand, but written by an angel, or, or at least spoken by an angel, to the Blessed Virgin Mary. If we read a poem once in a while, we read this or that, we say, oh, well, I wonder who wrote this. It's a beautiful poem. It's a beautiful hymn or something. Yeah, but this Hail Mary, full of grace, this is, this is the author is, is an angel, who in turn, of course, is transmitting the desire of God. And that appearance of Gabriel there in front of our Blessed Mother is in contrast to the public figure of Zachariah in the temple. Zachariah was a public figure. He was doing the public liturgy. There were all kinds of people around. Whereas when Gabriel now arrives in Nazareth, she's poor. Nazareth is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Yet God intervenes there and sends Gabriel in the most important message in the whole history of humanity. In this quiet place where Our Lady is quite unknown. And he played this role in, of course, announcing Mary's vocation. So when we, see, when we say the Angelus, we recall those words, and we also are reminded of our own call, because we think of Our Lady's call when she responds to that angel. And the Angelus may, by saying it every day, give us a deeper understanding of the ongoing nature of our call. It was not simply something of vocation that happened years ago when we asked admission to the work. In many ways, it continues to happen now. The Lord keeps calling. He wants us to say yes now. Yes today in this recollection. Yes tomorrow when we have to live a norm or, or, or speak to somebody or somehow exercise our responsibility. I'm saying yes we're not simply seeking out our comfortable plot of land to grow stuff. The word incarnate somehow is not finished. He needs to be shown the word incarnate in my behavior, in my words, in my active uh, fidelity. So we can begin by simply giving thanks that this amazing message went through the connection that was made between Gabriel and Mary. And probably when we asked admission to the work, when we whistled, there was probably an angel involved. Maybe it was Gabriel that was involved in spurring us to that act of gift of ourselves. I think, I think that happened. That's, I mean, I don't have any documentary proof. There's no encyclical about this, but I think that it was Gabriel who was involved in stirring our hearts, in awakening the words of that brother of ours who was somehow involved in that. And probably, well, probably Michael stepped in there to stop us from waffling eh, and running away. 
and making sure that the, the pen worked and the paper worked. So especially now we can find a way to give thanks to God because just as he chose Mary, he has chosen us for the work. And Gabriel was involved. That's why we, he is our strength. And likely there are many other annunciations in our own life. Of course, Mary at that moment faced a very important and subtle choice. And the angel showed it to her and made it known to her that she was called to a formidable task. You know, will she be open to this call? Will be she ready to go for it? Or will she close herself off to that new possibility? Would she never really weigh the possibilities in her life? But we know, of course, that she remained open to the perspectives because she was open to dialogue. She was opening to lis- open to listen. But this moment of the Annunciation was not a fait accompli in the sense that it was just the beginning of her vocation as Mother of God. And, well, you and I too, every day, we have moments, daily things which we would rather evade. Invitations to mortification, invitations to generosity. And maybe we can ask St. Gabriel, the Archangel now, to show us our own Annunciations that we often want to be open to new directions. Not think that our vocation is somehow a fait accompli and there's nothing else for me to do. There are new invitations uh, to be better, to be holier, to be more faithful, to be more apostolic, to be a better man of prayer. And we ask our Lord now for the grace to let us know, okay, Lord, let me know where I have not let the, the angel in, where I have not let the Lord in. Because, of course, the Lord is our God. He is our Father. He knows what we really need. He knows where we need to give ourselves more. Maybe we're uncertain sometimes. Maybe we lack, we lack uh, you know, generosity, insecure, about going out to meet new people. Think of those beautiful words that Gabriel announced to Mary, you have found favor with God. I imagine it might have been said with the same energy and the same tone with which he spoke to Zechariah when you know, he said, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Like that, that wasn't said, yeah, I'm, I'm Gabriel, whatever, I kind of sort of like stand in that. No, no, it was like, oh, I stand. It was an intense word, right? And... Uh, Maybe in the same way to Mary, he said, you have found favor with God. And she was like, Whoa. Now this, this is true for us. We have found favor with God. Obviously, it does not mean we are somehow better. And Mary did not say, I cannot do this. I, I'm not worthy. She didn't say, I'm not worthy. She didn't say, I don't have the strength. I'm too entrenched in my life. I'm too busy or something. Or it's too late for me. Or I'm limited. Or I am sick. So I can't, I can't do that, what you're asking of me. That's too demanding. The angel said, you found favor with God. 
Lord, I have found favor with you and you have given me this exceptional grace of vocation. You have come into my life, into my home, so to speak, and you have announced this. But I need the strength of God, the strength of Gabriel to move ahead. And of course, daily there are graces. You know, sometimes it's just speaking to a resident who kindly, who needs it. Sometimes you're just opening the front door when somebody's rung for the third or fourth time. Or just to have that initiative to set up spiritual direction with somebody. You know, we could talk. Let's talk. We could talk regularly. Now that takes an initiative to, or to write to the Father to tell him what's on our mind with candor. And the Annunciation teaches also something about communication. How we are communicating in our dialogue with God and our dialogue with others. How is that going? How is my ability to speak with others? Since Gabriel achieved the greatest and most important dialogue of all time with the Blessed Virgin Mary, we can learn how we can exchange in those dialogues. I mean, people reflect, oh, I remember when my mother told me this, or I remember so-and-so told me this. Like, that was a di- there was a dialogue that was received well, and it led people to greater generosity. You know, think that, that Isidoro, practically the first time he met our father, after not having seen him for years, our father was now in Madrid, he had seen the work, this is like 1930 or something, and he was still, like, kind of figuring things out, and he talked to Isidoro about the work and what he had seen and, and what this kind of this mission he had understood. And Isidoro listened. Our father must have communicated to him very, very well. He must have opened up for us. And he he asked to join in this endeavor that very day. That very day. He didn't say, Well I'll think about it. It's interesting what you're saying there. I like the images you're using. It's, it's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. He he decided to give himself over to God. I mean that can only have happened because our father knew how to communicate something, obviously also because of Isidoro's confidence in him, which had partly been built up in their childhood or when they were younger, but also right there. And I'm sure Gabriel was involved in the way our father spoke, in the way Isidoro responded. They didn't know that he was going to die a few years later, of course, but... uh, and how do I speak with people? How is my tone? I think it was, it was Stephen Cubby who had that image of the emotional bank account. Right? Everybody has an emotional bank account. You know, it's an account of trust instead of money. It's an account based on how safe you feel with another person. Like if I wasn't sure that the money I put into my CIBC account is safe, like I wouldn't put it in there, forget it, you know. But I, I boom, I put uh, X amount of dollars, I know I'm going to always be able to withdraw it. Mm-hmm. And, and so the same when we talk with people, they can, well, we can make um, deposits by a kind word, by a good piece of advice, and then suddenly it's as though that person feels richer and they trust us more, right? Obviously, this is not a ruse. This is just true. We're trying to, you know, if only the way we speak, with our sense of humor, 
and we're ready to drop everything for a guy. The way we make eye contact, the way we actually listen to what we've just heard and then respond to it. You know, I think Gabriel made eye contact with Mary. I think he made eye contact. And Mary was, like, so usually we see her looking up in the sky, or whatever, in the images, you know. But uh, you know, the, there's a famous Tanner painting of, uh, from 1920s or so, or, or around there, which shows Our Lady uh, in, you know, in a very humble hovel there somewhere, and she's curled up in the corner, and she's like looks completely afraid, and Gabriel is represented as just a shaft of light. You don't see it like an angel, like we know, but just a shaft of life, gleaming there in the middle. But she's kind of like, oh my God. Like, it's not the typical, traditional way of representing uh, the Annunciation. I think he made eye contact. And her meeting with the angel bids us to listen to the angelic whispers in our own life. And uh, Gabriel bids us to be stronger in response to God's call. So let's ask Gabriel to help, uh, help you listen to that message properly, adapted to our personal condition, not this generic one-fits-all approach. And uh, Gabriel will help us, right? He helped us to communicate. I mean, that, that's the essence of uh, the Annunciation. There was a dialogue there, there was communication there, the message was received, and the message was responded to in the best way that could ever be responded to in the history of humanity. And, and in some way, this could happen in our exchanges with others, with our brothers, with friends, with family, with, with so many ways. Let's not be dry and, and uncouth and, uh, and just... Uh, you know, not make every possible dialogue really, let's, let's really make it fruitful. And Gabriel, well, he's there uh, standing at the right hand of the altar. He'll help us. He's strong. He is God's strength. So that we, too, can, with strength and fortitude, respond to that call. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you how to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.